Good morning. I'm Jeff. I'm our Family Life Pastor. And welcome. I'm glad you're here today. There's a lot going on this weekend in Hopkinton and around the Boston area. And I'm excited to be a part of it. You know, it's got such a, with the marathon, it's got such a distinct now uh, flavor for us as a church with some of the things that we've personally experienced and, and been involved with over the last few years. And let's see if we can link something up with what God's Word has to say today and um, how it can apply to our lives. Uh, I need to ask God to help me. I do that a lot. When I run long distance, sometimes I'm asking God, please help me. I can just get to the next phone pole or something, you know, and keep running. Lord, I just pray right now you'd come and help us reach the goal, the prize that you have in store for us. Jesus, you were dead. But you're alive, resurrected. And in the beauty of all of that, that changes everything. And I pray this morning as I preach that you would speak through me. Speak into the hearts of everyone that's here. We would hear you. Maybe some way be changed. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Do you like when change intervenes in your life? Do you like when change intervenes in your life? Well, yeah, some people are raising their hand tentatively and some don't even want to look up here at me. Um, you know, the kids would know when I come home from work and would say, uh, we need to talk a little bit at dinner. And they'd like, oh, where are we moving? Uh, where we, <laughs> Alan's shaking his head over there like, oh, where are we relocating to now? Uh, what's going to happen? And uh, change was unexpected. And then after it happens nine times, ten times, it gets to be expected. And right, you're not going to talk about moving this time? We're not changing jobs, not doing something. But it gets a mixed response when I ask that kind of question. Do you like it when change intervenes in your lives? And typically we have one catchphrase over it, and that says, well, it depends. Because there are good changes, bad changes, hard changes, welcomed changes, surprising changes, shocking changes, like having a baby, a new job, a job loss, weight gain, Weight loss, depends on which side of the spectrum you're on there. A new car, new car payments. Illness, cancer, unexpected healing. Death of someone close, a marriage, a divorce, a storm, the storms of life. We're faced with all kinds of changes. And sometimes they're self-inflicted. Self-inflicted changes that help prepare us for something we're looking ahead for. We wouldn't normally maybe venture off and take on this kind of challenge. But we inflict some kind of change upon ourselves so that we're prepared for the future going ahead. Like going to college. Who wants to go and study endless hours 
year after year. But the hope is it will prepare me for some kind of college or some kind of, I'm sorry, some kind of career, some kind of work ahead. Military boot camp. Those I know that experienced that didn't enjoy that very much. But it was preparing them for something ahead. Packing to move. Training to run a marathon. And working through the change process sometimes can seem as hard as the actual challenge itself. I, I know in the case, and you'll hear a lot today because we'll speak about it, but when you run, and you guys hear these stories a lot so you're used to it, but when you run, you have to run long distance, you have to prepare yourself, and there's a lot of endless months where you're running by yourself without the crowds on the streets, lining the streets, and you're running 18, running 20 miles, and there's no one there. There's no one cheering you on. It's a challenge. And you have to dig deep. Well, being Boston Marathon weekend, you know, running does take a huge commitment. It takes dedication, takes endurance. And I think the key motivation for most people is the intrinsic challenge of it all. I, I looked in, online and Running USA said there was 1,100, approximately 1,100 U.S. marathons last year with about 540,000 people who finished. That's not like, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's growing. It's growing every year. But that's less than two-tenths of 1% of the whole U.S. population finished a marathon. And I think that intrinsic challenge to do something that others haven't done is something that spurs on a whole generation of people to say, I'd like to try that. I'd like to put that in front of me. Uh, quite frankly, I think very few people could walk out their front door this morning or tomorrow morning and run 26.2 miles from the starting line just a few tenths of a mile away from here and get onto Boylston Street in, Bo in Boston because it takes some practice. It takes endurance of training to do it. And I think life's the same way. There's things that we go through and we prepare ourselves for because of the challenge it's had. And whether we like change or not, whether it's sometimes welcomed or not, sometimes scorned or not, we endure it with the hope of obtaining the prize. So let me ask you another question. Would you expect change and transformation in your life to occur if Jesus intervened in your life right now? I mean, if one of these other events, you'd say, oh, oh, but would change occur in you right now if Jesus showed up here? If Jesus intervened in your life, would there be transformation and change starting to happen? Well, believe me, it happens often. Those of you that are around me, especially the last few years, there's probably not an event I go to that I don't talk about it. What's the God story of the day? A God story is being where you feel like somehow in the course of my daily event, God intervened in some way or another. And I just feel like it was him. It might be the smallest mundane thing and it might be something big, but you feel like God intervened. Let me tell you about a God story that happened within our own church body just a few weeks ago. Believe it or not, remember there was still snow on the ground? Snow just melted off my front yard this week. But there was snow still on the ground. It was still freezing cold just a few weeks ago, you remember? We have a couple in our church 
Jason and Tiffany, raise your hand there for a second. I mean, folks know who they are. Jason was working at a fellow's house and had taken land in their six-year-old, their kindergartner, with him because the, the person's house he's working at had a 10-year-old up. They can play and hang for a while, and I'll help do some projects, and I'll do some work here for this guy, this house. He's inside working, and the boys are outside in the snow. Jason's inside working, and he hears what every parent hates to hear. He hears a blood-curdling scream. He hears a crash. He hears a scream. And all he can imagine, what's happened to these boys, to my boy, to Landon? Jason rushes outside. Eternity passes as he's trying to get from inside the house. He actually told me, I was trying to figure out how I could go out through that wall and get out to the backyard fast enough. What happened is Landon's ventured out onto a swimming pool, out on the ice, and he's fallen through. Jason gets outside, rushes outside, and he finds Landon standing outside of the pool, shivering, wet, cold, and shaking. How did you get out of the pool? He can't swim. How did you get out of the pool? What, what? He goes, Dad, and matter-of-factly, I felt like Jesus took me by the shoulder and lifted me up and set me out. When I talked to Landon about it the next weekend, and Jason and, and, and is telling me, almost in tears in his eyes, about God's rescued his son, he said, that was a God story. God did something for me. And as I was speaking with Landon, he just, matter of fact, yeah, I brought him into some of the youth group and say, why don't you tell your story? And he goes, yeah, I was, you know, it fell through and Jesus just picked me up. I just felt like he grabbed me and lifted me out. God stories happen. And sometimes it's happened big like that and in a huge way. And we're like, whoa, that's something what God's done in our lives. And we celebrate those. Just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrate the biggest God story that's ever happened in humanity. We celebrated right here, we celebrated right here that Jesus went to the cross. He endured betrayal, trials, beatings, crucifixion, death, and the grave for us. And on the third day of those, he resurrected alive from the grave. And we celebrate that. That's the biggest God story that is. And when we really confront that kind of story, it changes us. It transforms us. He's really alive. He's really dead. He was dead and he's alive. So what's your God story? What's your God stories? when Jesus has intervened in your life. I'm constantly on the alert for him. I'm always looking out for him. Um, and just a sampling of stories, I was thinking, what, what, others, what others do we have? Just in the course of this, it doesn't seem far-fetched and like a boy rescued from a pool. And I was thinking about just our youth group, the ones I'm around all the time, and I was thinking about, oh, I remember when Alan was sitting in a retreat, and he, no one was behind him, and he felt, kept feeling somebody touch his shoulder, and he turned around, and it was no one was there, and he just felt like God was telling him something and talking to him and touching him on the shoulder. At a retreat last year, Amelia was there, and they prayed for her, and a leg grew up that's been shorter all of her life. The kids sitting there watched it, fascinated. Anthony Graves, just years, a few years ago, right here in this very room, suffering from dyslexia and couldn't read, was healed. 
and can now read. We were just talking about that the other day, Anthony and I, and how I can just start reading and, and move on. Matthew and Esther Klinger shouldn't be here, guys. If you know their story and heard the story from their parents, they shouldn't be here. Those twins shouldn't have lived. And they're here. And now they're an active part of our youth group, bouncing all over the place. Upside down. Aurelia and I were at the youth uh, winter retreat just a few years ago, and we saw the Spirit of God fall on a dozen of our youth. I've never seen anything quite like it before. But they were moved, and they were transformed, and things started happening. Kids were just kind of bouncing around and singing. All of a sudden, just like the Spirit of God moved, and they all just became focused in on one point. And they knew for a moment that God was there and was with them, and it's transformed them, how they think and how they behave. I, I, I believe there's a lot of incredible stories like this and even more the mundane that happen all the time if we'll look for them. But because they're small, because they're the little things, that doesn't mean they don't occur. In asking many of you in one-on-ones, in life groups, and just regular kind of interactions with you about what's the God story for the day, I've seen within our church body Desperately needed finances come about in a surprising way, way, unexpectedly at the last minute. People with cancer healed. Headaches squashed, backs healed. Meals provided, surprisingly. Somebody just brought a meal. How'd they know I needed that? Marriages resurrected. Children born. Fevers broke. College entrances accepted. Mothers reunited with their daughters again. God intervenes, and he does this all the time if we'll look. And it brings us to what I think is the central theme of this message today. Heart transformation, real change, occurs in the presence of Jesus. The Bible uses this word transformation, at least translated to English that way in various places in the New Testament. It comes from a Greek word, metamorpho, metamorphosis. We think about that a little bit in a cocoon, in a butterfly. But the idea is a complete change in form, in nature, in condition, in function, in habits, in character, from one state to something completely different. I believe When we encounter the resurrected Jesus, there's something that can happen and does happen. And it changes us. We become metamorphosized into something different. Did I just make up a word? You guys check that out. That's okay. That's okay. I'm from Oklahoma. I make up words. What are your God stories? Are you on the lookout for Jesus? Are you on the lookout for him maybe doing something in the supernatural? Believe me, the Lord's very busy. Maybe even today we'll experience something. Are you ready? Let me take you to a familiar story that talks about transformation when we encounter Jesus. It's found in Luke chapter 24. Turn on to your phones, your electronic devices. There's hard copies of the Bible too. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. 
we're going to pick up in verse 13. This is the day of the resurrection. It's Sunday. It's a familiar story, but let's breathe new life into it and let's imagine that we're there. Verse 13, chapter 24, that same day of the resurrection, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, I'll tell you, I think they're runners because only runners talk about things in miles like that. It was a seven-mile. We did a seven-miler. We just didn't. Okay, just my my thought. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So two followers of Jesus, that very same day, they're headed back. It looks like home, seven miles away. How long would it take you to walk seven miles? A couple hours, a few hours. And Jesus, Jesus shows up in heavenly stealth mode, off the radar of recognition. And then he says this to them in verse 17. What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stop short. Sadness written across their faces. And so I think that's how Jesus acknowledges us sometimes. He does hear when we talk. He does hear when we interact. It is important what's being said. And it seems that his body, though resurrected, emerged from the tomb, had been transformed. It was the same, yet it was different. A mystery that we probably really won't fully realize until we experience that resurrected state ourselves. And the fact that they couldn't recognize Jesus may have somewhat paralleled the fact that they couldn't recognize exactly what had happened that day and the events that were going on around them. Verse 18, it says this. Then one of them, Cleophas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened here these last few days. Let me just a side note on this because I think it's kind of fun. John, when he writes about the witnesses of the crucifixion, he talks about a few ladies that are standing there. In John 19, he says this, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. Many scholars think that that Clophus or Cleophas is the same person and that Mary is the wife of Cleophas that we're reading in our story in Luke chapter 24, which kind of makes sense. If we get to it, we all know that it ends up at their house. And it kind of makes sense. But let's go on anyway. And let's assume that it's Cleophas and his wife Mary walking along. And they had seen the crucifixion. Remember, it says they're followers of Jesus. Verse 19. As they say, all these things going on. And Jesus asked them, what things? And have you ever noticed that Jesus doesn't make assumptions? When it comes to our prayer life, the Bible talks a lot about 
ask. You, you don't have because you don't ask. You, you don't receive things because you're not specific. You're not specific enough. And he wants details out of our lives. And Jesus says, "Look, what, what, what happened? Give me some, give me some facts here. Give me some details. What's going on?" And here's how I think he answered him. At least in the speed of delivery. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. I think it went that fast, guys. I think they were just pouring, he's just pouring it out to them. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group, from our group of his followers, were at his tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. And they'd seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see. And sure enough, his body was gone. Just as the women had said. So the followers start explaining the events. Starts pouring out of their hearts all that's there. How could you have missed this guy? Where have you been? You're walking the same direction we are. How could you have possibly been in Jerusalem and missed all of that? I mean, that was what the events were the last few days. And if you know anything about what's going on over the past months, every time Jesus showed up, there was a huge, huge gathering of people and a huge conflict that occurred between him and the Jewish leaders. How have you missed it? How did you possibly come through Jerusalem this morning and miss that? Verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And for a two and a half hour walk, you have the Son of God walking along, explaining everything out of scripture about the Messiah and the coming of God's Son. Who would like to take a seven-mile walk with Jesus? And he explains it to them. And they're just taking this all in. What a teacher. He talks like he wrote the book. And he's just pouring it out to them and pouring out to them. Verse 31. No, let's back up. Verse 28, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on. See you guys later. Been nice visiting with you. Good walk. At a good pace. Looked like we were doing about, you know, about, uh, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared at a meal. 
Jesus sits down and he breaks bread and they realize it's him. If that was Mary that was standing observing at the cross, if that was the same Mary and she saw that disfigured body hanging there with nails through his hands and feet and saw all that had happened that day, you might give her a break and say, well, maybe it's easy she wouldn't recognize him because he didn't appear to be that way anymore. I think there's an interesting parallel to this story from another couple in the Bible that you're familiar with. Do you remember the story about Adam and Eve in Genesis? This one's a little different though. Eve took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave it some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too, and at that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame. And now we have a different couple sitting in the front in the presence of Jesus and he breaks bread for them and their eyes are suddenly opened and they realize not the shame of their own sin but the Son of God is sitting there among them resurrected and alive. They've discovered the curse, long broken, is now broken. Death has been defeated. God's new creation brimming with life and joy and new possibilities are before them. Verse 32 says their lives were transformed from that point on. Look what happened. They said to each other, I I just love this as a husband and wife kind of thing, didn't our hearts burn within us? as he talked with us on the road and explained the Scriptures to us? Didn't you feel it all along? What were we thinking? He was there. He was explaining to us. And within that hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. They got up and and headed back out. As we understand from the careful explanation of God's Word, the revelation about Jesus, whether he's explaining it or as we see it this morning or at that point in your life, and you realize that he who is dead is now resurrected, he is alive, that he's our redeeming Savior, that he's our Messiah, there's a bringing together of head and heart, of understanding and excited anticipation, of new possibilities and new life. There's change. There's transformation. There's a metamorphosis. And if heart transformation occurs in the presence of Jesus like it did for these two disciples, they realize we're in Jesus' presence. It's Him and He's alive. When heart transformation occurs, it changes everything. Can you remember the last time your heart flamed with excitement about something? that You just burned in your heart about something that's going to happen or it happened in your life? to you or to someone near you or how about the last time God did something in your life and your heart just flamed up and burned with inside of excitement the intensity is astronomical especially when it's God it causes you to think differently doesn't it because realize I've I've been approaching this all wrong I didn't see I'm finally I'm aware I can see what's happened 
It's the kind of movement in our heart that changes us forever. We change into a new creature of thought, of action, really in a whole new way of life. One encounter, one encounter with the resurrected Jesus brings the prize. A heart transformation, new life, born again. All the phrases that we've seen in the Bible. I think Romans 12, 1 and 2 helps us a little bit with this. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul wrote this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Not only does Jesus' presence transform us, but it can change everything. And there's four points about this I want to bring out about this transformation. The first one is Jesus transforms the way we respond. The disciples there in Emmaus, these followers, they packed up everything right away and went back. That very hour, it says. There wasn't even washing dishes that night. Alan said they probably left it to their teenage son to do. But they turned around and went right back to Jerusalem. They headed back. Why? They didn't just sit there and absorb it. They knew we have to go tell the other disciples. We've just spent the last hours with Jesus. This wasn't just a little flash, like, oh, I think I saw a glimpse of Jesus. No, they spent the last three hours, at least, in dialogue with Jesus. It's changed them. And there was no delay. When Jesus transforms, it changes how we respond. They normally would have said, you know what, it's getting kind of late. It was already late, and they said, let's come in, it's getting dark. You don't travel at night. There, there wasn't lit roads to go back on. The travel would have been dangerous, potentially, physically, in other ways. But it didn't matter. We have to get back. We must get back, and they did. And they headed right back, another seven miles back. They did a half marathon plus that day. Next, Jesus transforms the way we act. You know, when you're training to do something like a marathon, you train at a certain pace and a, a certain time over a, a long period of time to prepare yourself for it. And what happens on race day, what happens on race day when there's thousands of people around you and the crowd starts moving. It's like being in line at a movie theater. You can't just stay there. You have to move. And everybody's moving. And they start moving. The bulge of people start moving at a pace. And literally, if you can imagine, 30,000 people in that street, Main Street moving up 85 and then turning down Main Street and headed towards the start line. You, you, you have to move or you get walked over or jogged over. And the pace starts picking up. And suddenly you're a few miles into this thing and you're thinking, oh, I'm feeling pretty good. And like, oh, I'm faster than I normally run. And you, any other training day you'd say, oh, slow down. I have to stop because I'm going to crash really fast. You know, I'm going to use up all my energy. 
But what happens on race day, because you're so pumped with adrenaline, everybody around you, you're like, oh, I must be in better shape than I thought I was. And so you just run along, and you get about eight or nine miles into it, and your body says, oh, no, you're not in that good of shape. <laughs> and you crash. I think there's an analogy like that in life sometimes. I think we think we're strong enough that we can hang with a crowd that we shouldn't hang with, that we can read the materials or watch the movies or, or do the things that we know we shouldn't do. We think that we're strong enough spiritually that we can kind of walk through it and get through it and we'll be okay. We can survive this. But guess what? And I think the analogy hangs, hangs pretty level in this. You're not. And it's true at any age. Our culture quickly points out when we're not accepting its point of view. And so we say, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll compromise a little bit. And I'll take the point of view of culture so I won't stand out. And, and I'll, follow, I'll just follow along. I'll just follow along in that. I can resist it. I won't get caught up in it. But you know, we're, we're as Christians, we're citizens with passports to another world. It's validated. I believe it doesn't expire. And it means we're to walk in this world as an alien and stranger, but yet we're to walk in this world and be a part of it. The third point, I think Jesus transforms the way we think. Look what happened back in the story uh, in Luke. In verse 33, within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered there with them. The ones who had said, the Lord has risen. He had appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as they were, he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. I personally think it went something like this. You guys aren't going to believe this. We were standing there. We were walking along. We were going to Emmaus. And on the way to Emmaus, this guy shows up and he's talking to us. And, they, and I think it caught him off guard. I mean, I think they said, slow down, slow down. What happened? What happened? Tell us a story. And as they're telling the story, somebody else just finished a half marathon, so to speak. And Jesus appears right in their midst. And all that he had been explaining to them, all that he had been explaining to the disciples came to light. You see, these two were on the road with him and they were there that first evening when Jesus first appeared to his disciples. And then Jesus says, peace be with you. The whole group was startled, it says in verse 37. They thought he was a ghost. What are you guys frightened about? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? I love Jesus. Guys, I'm hungry. Well, can we eat while we're talking about this? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he ate it as they watched. And then he does this. 
When I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms that must be fulfilled. And he's reminding them of things. And then look at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago about the Messiah. And he goes on and explains it to them. It changes the way we think. When you're in the presence of Jesus, maybe you struggle understanding what the scriptures say. Maybe you understand, struggle with those things. But it, it changes the way we think when we're confronted with Jesus. He opens and can open our minds to the scriptures and to the truth about him and who he is. It might bother some of you. If I'm with the youth all the time, phone's going off and stuff is okay. So Jesus transforms the way we think, and then he transforms the way we live. Don't, don't get lost here. As well as this transformation reveals more of God to us, we learn his will for our lives. He, he desires for us good and perfect and pleasing things. Jesus' resurrection means that your heart can change. You can change. If his body can come back to life, your heart can be set free from every fear, every vice, every addiction, every concern, every loss, everything that binds it. The keys of hell and death are now in the hands of the risen Jesus. And He breaks them free. You can be set free. You can live a transformed life in the presence of Jesus. So in conclusion, let me ask you a few questions. Is Jesus on your radar? These disciples walking to Emmaus, I don't think Jesus was on their radar screen. I mean, I don't think there's like, oh, let's walk, let's walk home and maybe Jesus will show up. It was a total surprise, totally unexpected. But for us, on this side of the resurrection, with what we know, is Jesus on your radar? I love a little phrase in the New American Standard in Hebrews 3.1. It says, consider Jesus. In New Living Translation, it says, think carefully about this Jesus. The idea was, is you're facing this direction and you're to turn and look intently at something. I need you to consider Jesus. Make sure He's on your radar. Because we can be really busy we can be caught up in the things of the world, our lives around us, and we can miss that, hey, Jesus should be on the radar screen here. Second question, are you in the presence of Jesus? Are, are you putting yourself in His presence, allowing His presence to come into your lives? James wrote, and we, we read this and studied this recently, come close to God and He'll come close to you. And finally, are you allowing His change in you to occur and complete? Don't stop. Leave a legacy. Cross the finish line of the race of life. Finish what's been started in you. In Philippians, we read this. Paul wrote this, and I think just pour out of his heart, I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward 
to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. You can slow things up. You can take your focus off of Christ. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll keep Him on your radar, if you'll earnestly seek His presence in your life continually, if you allow Him to transform you, because you are interacting with a resurrected Savior. It's not a club we've joined we're a membership of. It's not your BJ's card or Costco card or whatever it is. It's, it's membership into, into heaven. It's, it's, it's a relationship with the, with the God who created us. He wants to have that kind of relationship with us. And He's not leaving us in the current state that we are in. Matter of fact, there'll be a day that we'll be resurrected. We'll have new bodies, a new life, and we'll live forever with Him. I'm looking forward to that end day. Are you? Are you? But right now, we're in the race. Don't pull up. Don't pull up. It's worth it to stay in it. It's worth it to press on. Because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Again, I want to invite you if you would like someone to pray with you today and pray for a transformer life or something else that's going on. Uh, please come forward. We have people that love to pray with you. Um, I'd like to welcome you to enjoy a cup of coffee out in the lobby after service here and be dismissed as others can sit here and reflect um, on what God's doing in their lives right now. Heavenly Father, I invite you to come. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? We could actually envision Jesus, you sitting right, right now with us and, and breaking bread, if you will, with us. And you're suddenly here and present. I ask you to transform us, make us into something new. Help us keep pressing forward in the life that you've given us here. Amen.